Herds and Curds with Carmen and Leanne, bringing you conversations with farmhouse cheesemakers and dairy producers. The first Sunday of the month at 7am on your favourite station, 3CR, 3CR Digital and 3cr.org.au. Welcome to Herds and Curds with Carmen Bateson and Leanne McLean. Today we'll be talking to special guest Rachel Niederbar of Butterfly Factory in Warrigal. Hello, Rachel. Hello, Carmen and Leanne. Thanks for coming on the program. So, Rachel, Rachel began her micro dairy in December of last year and is producing yogurt, cultured butter and cream and bottling milk from a neighbouring Gippsland farm. Rachel, just going back a little bit, how did you get into dairy? Uh, I think I think it goes back to um, my uh, trip to France uh, when I finished school to be a nanny <laughs> and being introduced to the wonderful world of French dairy food. Um, I ended up living in France a couple of times and, um, you know, was able to sort of dabble in, was to go hang out at little dairies and do a little bit of work and assisting and watching. And so you worked in cheese cheese rooms in France? I did, yeah. I, I, um, they were all, they're not, they're not the kind of dairies that I I think actually exist in in Australia, or maybe they do now, but um, not, in France, they're they're sort of much more common little little old farmhouses just on the outskirts of villages, um, where you know they just might milk twelve cows or twenty goats and and um, and take the milk straight into their little tiled cheese rooms and make cheese afterwards. And um, and so historically, like that. And so historically, in that context, you've worked in a sort of farmhouse production and. And now, yeah. tell us about what your production is now, and how different that is, or, or yeah. similar, even. Mm. Well, I'm not. I'm not actually making cheese, which is, I guess, an important difference. But, but I, I, I aim to one day. Um, this is a, a starting point. Mm-hmm. Um, there's. Um, I'm not on a farm. I'm in an industrial zone. Um, but in terms of the, I guess, of the. Um, the, the thinking behind it and and the actual product, I think there's a, there's a similarity in the sense that you know I collect the milk straight from the farm and and don't and don't do very much to it. Like I bring it I bring it 15 or it's actually more like a, a 20 minute drive from Puong to Warrigal mm-hmm. <laughs> and then tip it into my little pasteurizer in um, in a, you know in a small factory there and um, you know, pasteurize it at, at at 63 and a half degrees for half an hour and, and bottle it. So in that sense, as a, it's a one-woman operation and, and the milk comes straight fresh from the farm that morning. There is that, um, that freshness and that handmade aspect to it. So you have a lovely connection with your farmer, actually. So you he milks, um, you take his morning um, milking and transform it um, in your cheese room or in your what can I I, shan't, I, I call it a make room a make room yeah so you <laughs> yeah. you're transforming a product just hours old actually yeah that's right it's it's very fresh that's yeah. fantastic as soon as it comes out of the cow basically I'm there with my bucket all and right I take it straight so your place. working day starts at his farm and you transport the milk 20 minutes to your um make room and, mm-hmm. and what then, time is that Rachel <laughs> What time? Um, yeah. I, I can get there anywhere between 7.30 and 8 o'clock. Okay. Um, which is nice. Yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah, I have the milk in, in the pasteurizer before 9. And Rachel, uh, before you mentioned the temperature was 63 
degrees. Point um, five. Point <laughs> five. <laughs> um, can you just um, just explain the temperature? That, Why you've that chosen to batch pasteurise? Yeah. Well, I, on one level, I would say that it was um, the equipment that I had to buy, um, you know, uh, $15,000 for a batch pasteuriser mm. as opposed to, you know, you're starting at 20 and just going up quickly from there for a, an HTST pasteuriser <laughs> heat exchanger, which is a, like a completely different system, the batch pasteuriser being, you know, like a big saucepan really, but with, with jacketed, a jacketed, um, jacketed walls with water running through them so you can you're heating up your um milk in, in a big pot um by applying heat to the outside walls and stirring it so it's a very gentle way of heating whereas uh, htsc is a high temperature short time and the milk is pushed through these very very small spaces at extremely high speeds um to be able to to pasteurize um at i think it's 74 degrees at 10 seconds mm. um so just so a much more violent process if you were just to describe the like physical passing of the milk, and and I think it just pretty much results in the homogenization of it at the same time that the flat the fat globules are are transformed by that process as well. Um, so I think texturally the end result is quite different mm, okay. um, between the two processes. Yeah, so it's a, a gentler process. Your yep. your decision. Yeah, cool. Thanks. Okay, and just continue. So what, after you've picked up the milk and you've started pasteurisation, what's your working day look like? What, how, talk about your products and how you're um, producing them. Uh, well, the milk, um, then once, uh, once the pasteurisation and cooling process is, is complete, I, I, um, so in that time while it's heating and cooling, I, I would be washing up the buckets because I reuse those in which I collect milk. Um, so doing some cleaning and also then preparing preparing the bottles. Uh, so you know I have to put use fine best before stickers on them and get them out of you know actually physically put them into crates with lids on and transfer them into the dairy. Uh, and then there is a bit of paperwork too. There's always paperwork, uh, and so you know complying with that, doing that as you go is a lot. Is, is the way to go. <laughs> yeah, and do you find um, so that paperwork that. onerous or re- it's uh, um, necessary? Or? It's, it's, it is excellent to have a good system in place whereby all of your dates and temperatures and things like that are easy to access. Um, you know, God forbid you should ever have a problem and you have to do something like a product mm. recall. If mm. you're... If you're, all of your documenting has been done and is well organised, it you know it, it, it makes that kind of thing possible. And um, and I think it also means that you organise yourself really well, mm-hmm. um, which, which just I think um, I think for the end result um, is a really good. It's good to be well organised. <laughs> mm, it's good practice. Um, yeah. Um, and so, so you. So, uh, do you bottle your milk and you make also uh, yogurt? Is that um, part of yeah, your? Yeah. Does that happen at the same time or on the same production day? No, a different day. I, I at this at this stage, um, only three months in. I'm. I'll just do you know one pasteurisation a day, hundred liters, and so the yogurt has a. Um, I can program my pasteuriser to different temperatures and time, so I can set in the yogurt program because um, the milk has to be heated to a higher temperature. I take it to 85 degrees, uh, and then as it cools down, I can get the the pasteurizer to stop at around, 
you know, 39, 38, 39, and I add my cultures in and allow them to mix in. And then I need to bottle the yogurt. It's all pot set, so I mm-hmm. bottle it straight into uh, 500ml pots, and, and I put them in eskies, and they keep temperature really well mm-hmm. in there, closed up. And several hours later, they've acidified to, you know, less than 4.5 pH, as they're required to do. And that's the legal and definition then, of yogurt, isn't it? It is, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yes, and there are other things to do with the, um, you know, what you make it from too, mm-hmm. uh, I believe. Uh, mm-hmm. But I, I won't go into that here. <laughs> <laughs> but it's milk. It is purely milk, unhomogenized milk with with some yogurt cultures added. That's all. Oh, lovely. You're listening to 3CR Radio. And what about um, your where you sell your production? Because I believe it's actually sold very locally and you've got a particular model of distribution. And can you talk a little bit about that and why you favoured this model? Yeah, well, we like to eat, uh, our, our family, we, li- we like to eat local food, as local as we can source it, really. Um, and, you know, certainly there there is no other local butter that I'm aware of which is which is sort of one of the one of the impetuses for starting this up um, butterfly factory but um, so it was I think it's about four years it might even be five now we we got our Warrigal got its own farmers market through the mm-hmm. efforts of Sally Jones and Erica McInerney um, and around that time also the Bobo food hub was started up by uh, Linda Hoare and Liz Clay and um, yeah that really changed the way we were able to eat and and also like this community just kind of came out of the woodwork that we didn't even know was there and um it's just been such a good thing all around like in terms of the way we eat and the and the people we know and i think you know also like the economics the the little economics of our of our local food community it's um and and so you know we really you know more than happy to be able to be a part of that Mm-hmm. Um, and um, in addition to the Bobo Food Hub, so that they sell Butterfly Factory uh, products, uh, there's a um, there's a, a great little local deli as well, Stella's Pantry. Um, so uh, that's more of a traditional retail model. Uh, but the other one that that is um, really doing some great stuff, I think, is the Promcos Food Collective. Um, which, which is a, you know, a sort of a cooperative. Really, it's a an associated, like a loosely associated group of farmers and producers who sell their wares direct to the consumer um, via Open Food Network, mm-hmm. uh, which is a really interesting platform that allows people to have online shops without the cost of a website, okay. and then to access all the all the people who then go onto Open Food Network uh, to look to be able to find. Um, places that are local that are close to them that they can buy from directly and so do people pick up their product or yes they come Mm -hmm. once a month to Dumbork to do that Um, but there is there is actually a second location in the city being being organized by by uh, Amelia and Sally so is that like a food buying group in a way the same sort of concept um, I'm not sure. I think if you say food buying group, I think of a um, a group of consumers who organise to buy things in bulk. Mm. Whereas, whereas this is um, an an affiliated group of of producers oh, yeah. who are putting their wares out there to the consumer. So they're not linked in in any other way apart from the fact that you know they're 
group banded together to sort of make their offering more appealing, I suppose, or stronger and by, it, by all being in one spot. But it's an online thing? Um, well, it's online the way that you order. So it mm. simplifies the administrative burden. Like people can go on, they order exactly what they want. They do their shopping online, pay, and then everything's there for them to collect or all put together so they know what they're getting when they arrive. Yeah. And can you uh, – do what? what's the website for that, for the listeners? The website? Yeah. Um, or what can so people look I, up? I, the yeah, name? You would go to the Open Food Network, okay. uh, .org.au. Yeah. And and then you, you can pretty much start shopping. But then you can you could look up Promcoast Food Collective or Bobo Food Hub or Butterfly Factory or you oh. know, there are many, many yeah. Prom Country cheese, like so many people actually sell there. Awesome. There are hundreds of, of of people and they're all selling their wares direct, which is Yeah, yeah great. It's a pretty fabulous platform, yeah. I mean, it's such a an efficient model in so many ways and the money you know, the money doesn't have to go to those great big middle people who mm. <laughs> who often you know don't actually bring anything to mm. the value or the quality yeah. of the product so lots of yeah hopefully lots of good good things you know coming through in our food systems i, I hope i know it's, it's a struggle but um, but hey it's one well worth yeah. one well, well worth having <laughs> yeah Fantastic. You're listening to Herds and Curds with Carmen and Leanne and we're in conversation with Rachel Niederbauer of Butterfly Factory Gippsland Micro Dairy. And going back to your product a little bit, where do you source your milk from? I believe you've got quite a relationship with your farmer um, with a particular breed and his agricultural practices are also quite interesting. Would you like to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, because he his milk is... He he is kind of a big reason why I'm doing milk and yogurt. Um, you know, originally thinking I was going to focus mainly on cream and butter. Um, when I I tried his milk, um, I was really impressed by 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 the texture of it, and um, and certainly and it has a delicious flavour as well. Um, but uh, a couple of people um, had mentioned him to me because he well he's um, farms in quite a unique sort of way uh he has chosen a dual purpose breed which is an unusual choice in this day and age i guess in the dairy industry um and he chose he chose them for their health for their health traits and tell um, tell us tell us the breed rachel because we it's the breed that we don't we don't see in australia that much i believe it no it's a very popular breed in europe um but it's called fleckvi F L E C K V I E H. Mm-hmm. It's I believe it is related to Simmental and Montbelliard mm-hmm. from the bit of breeding I've done, uh, and these are breeds which are like famous in France for the um, cheeses that are made from their milk, like notably Conte from the Montbelliard. Um, so you know, um, known for their quality milk in terms of from a cheese making perspective. Yeah. Uh, the other thing uh, that Rob does his milk once a day, and and he uh, buys in no no um, no additional feed, so there's no grain fed at all. Which is really and, um, unusual for Australian farmers, I think. Very. Mm. Yeah, it would be interesting to know a bit more about that. I think you're right. Mm. Yeah, but he he is prop. These are properly grass-fed cows. Like there is no grain, and also he doesn't feed silage, which is another very unusual thing. Indeed. Locally. 
Uh, and but also, I think it's interesting to then compare to um, France. Well, look to France again, where in the PDOs over there for you know all the famous cheeses, um, I believe silage is is forbidden in in if not all of them, then certainly a great number of them. Mm. Can you? Explain to me <laughs> what's, what's um, not being a cheesemaker. Um, what's silage? Uh, it's fermented grass. Okay. Uh, anaerobically fermented grass. Yeah. So um yeah they you know in the bales wrapped in plastic. Mm. That's what's going on inside there. Yeah, mm-hmm. fermented grass, which becomes quite sweet and palatable, um, high energy, and but um, some of the byproducts from digesting that for ruminants are, you know, not desirable in cheese. Okay. Does it get, is it, is that a flavour, does it also give a particular flavour? Yeah, flavour and, and also I think, you know, it um, can, can cause cheeses to blow right up because of the gas right. production. Mm. Oh, okay. With maturation um, particularly. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And it also, in, in France I've certainly heard people talk about the um, Ill, Ill effects over the long term on the health of, of the cow. Mm-hmm. Uh, that it does tax them to digest it, but anyway, I won't right. don't have a whole lot of specifics at the ready there. So yeah, put that out there. And how did you come across Rob then? To um, get uh, to well, know through him? that community of people that um, all sprung up around good food in Borbor. Right. Um, Tam Tamsin Carvin um, is a neighbour. Um, I don't know if she have Tamsin of Tamsin's table who um, hosts pretty fabulous Sunday lunches in her farmhouse from food that she's grown. Oh, wow. And, and made, and then cooked, yeah. You've got an exciting community down there, haven't you? And We do. And it's it's a great farming district, actually, with a great history of farming. Yeah, you can grow anything here, like bananas and avocados, even, <laughs> if you believe. Um, it's wow. pretty amazing. Mm. And, and very good soils, too, so... Um, you know, patches of deep red soils uh, run throughout there. Um, if we can keep them from being built on. Yeah, that's right. The, the other disappointing thing is housing developments are popping up all the time when you drive east out of Melbourne. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I, people need places to live. But there is, I think, a growing um, awareness of the fact that, um, you know, maybe we could you know, get better at leaving the best soils for growing food exactly choosing that's the, right. the poorer um, yeah we've got lots of poor soils in australia that we could build on <laughs> anyway <laughs> we're getting off track that's another conversation mm-hmm. but um so it's nearly six months into your business is it late december you started so is that yeah. oh well maybe a bit less than that four. but four <laughs> So how's it going? What have been some of the challenges that you've had to contend with, you know, whether you anticipated those or not, but what are some of the challenges that you're facing? I or? think um, doing, everything you're, doing everything myself has been... that I, I, It just all takes a little bit longer than I think, so I have gotten quite tired on occasion. Um, well, that's, yeah, challenge-wise. Uh, also, having set up in a really minimal kind of a way in terms of equipment and cost, I um I have been reliant on, for example, my cream, the cream, I I buy the cream in, I don't separate it myself. Um, and I, and the variability of the percentage, fat percentage in the cream has caused me a bit of grief. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, 
some more equipment to buy to be able to kind of even out the even out some of those vari- variances or mm-hmm. variables. Um, and no, I suppose that would be the main thing. Um, you know, just trying to um, fit everything in. Um, and, and because I'm new at it, of course, I'm a bit, you know, a bit slower, a bit. <laughs> Um, but you know things are sort of t- taking shape, so that that is um, reassuring. And um, I suppose, yeah, challenge-wise, that's been it. It's just um, time and energy. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. very commendable your one-woman show. Actually, it's well, I, I think it's really important to because the other thing that that kind of goes in tandem with that is I've had so much help and support mm-hmm. from so many people, like this beautiful really generous kind of outpouring of of like of support of offers of help and and you know numerous things in in many different ways like I I did try to say thank you at one point on Mm -hmm. Instagram and I had so many people (laughs) that I thought of that there was no way I could put you know there were like over 200 so you're tuned to 3CR on your end If you just tuned in to 3CR Why would you stay listening and listening a while? Have you had adequate information, you know, is there adequate information available to you when in the di- dairy industry and where do you get that information or where do you get that support? Like, who is oh. out? Well, I don't actually, I would, oh, no, I don't think there's a lot of information readily available, but um, I do think like um, associations like, well, like ASCA, like the Australian uh, Specialist Cheesemakers Association um, are really, mm. you know, doing doing a lot of work to try to fill that gap and mm-hmm. and um, have brought some terrific people to Australia to address that very, like, um, that very lack, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's been amazing too. Yeah, great knowledge and, and product as well, like in terms of the cultures they're bringing in now mm-hmm. um, or helping to bring in. And are you using um, those new cultures? Yes. Okay. Yeah, um, the Stonda Laboratoire Stonda, um have this incredible library of cultures that um, some of which is theirs and some of which they have access to. Um, but it's yeah, it's great to have that sort of choice, especially since we are, um, you know, constrained to pasteurised at the moment. Do you want to talk about that? Do you want to talk about pasteurised or raw milk? And just in general, talk, do you feel optimistic about our dairy industry and what direction do you see it going in or would you like to see it go in? Um, yeah, I feel optimistic about it. I think there are a lot of people working behind the scenes to try to bring better quality dairy to Australia. It's really, actually really exciting. I felt that keenly at an ASCA event recently where Bronwyn and Francis Percival spoke about their new book, Reinventing mm-hmm. the Wheel, which mm-hmm. I think anybody who's interested in in, in dairy, cheesemaking and and it, um, it's a must read, I think. It's, I think so you're right. And Lee and I were speaking about that this morning mm. and myself as a cheesemaker and Lee as a cheese lover 
It's mm. actually a book. It's suitable for professionals and it's suitable for people just that are interested in cheese. Yeah, so people. it's a beautiful mm, yeah. book. It's so well written. Yeah, I'm reading it, it at is, the moment, yeah. Rachel. By my yeah. bedside. Yeah. Bedside <laughs> reading. Three pages every night. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. I don't even make three pages. I'm so tired. <laughs> but it's still, um, yeah, very, like, I, it's it's really well written for the layperson anyway. It's got, you know, great, I was saying to Carmen, great analogies that mm. you can, you know, wrap your head around even when it's um, trying to explain something scientific or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. No, and some of, some of the, science, the science in it is some, the, is some of the most, exciting stuff I think but I mean I yeah agree. it's great mm. historically the context and um, um, where we're going with it as well um, so yeah I've got lots of hope uh, and I think um, and people really you know in, if you look at Melbourne and the Food and Wine Festival and the myriad other things which happen every year it seems like the time and the time is right people want to people want food with flavor and mm. provenance and Oh, it's so great to hear, and it's great to hear that you're optimistic about your production as well. And you know, we're excited for you. you. And actually, we'd love to have you, you know, talk to you in an, in a year or so and see mm. how your business evolves. Um, but for now, we probably have to wrap up. Can you just let um, our listeners know how they can get in contact with you, your Instagram or website, or what's the best way for people to find your product and you? Well, thank you. Yeah, well, thanks for having me on the program. I, I think that sounds great. Um, probably the easiest way to contact me is, is via Instagram. I don't have mm-hmm. a website. And your Instagram name is? It's Butterfly Factory Gips. Fantastic. Well, thank you, Rachel. Yeah, thank you, Rachel. What a pleasure. Yeah, thank you, guys. Um, yeah, uh, I'll, I'll look forward to speaking to you another time. Yeah, great. yeah thanks so do we. so much. Have okay. a great day. Thanks to Rachel Needlebauer of Butterfly Factory Gippsland Micro Dairy for joining us today on Herds and Curds.